Let's get this thing started. What's up, guys? John Sintez here. My man, Alex Rojas. Let's win a ball game podcast. Pretty excited. Um, let's start it off. If you haven't checked out our channels on YouTube, uh, we're on Spotify. We're all over the place. Instagram. Um, we've been, both of us have been really, really busy, uh, but we will get some updated content on there soon. Um, thank you to all the people that support us and follow us. It's been a blast. Um, I'll start off with my plug first. Uh, uh, check out one of our awesome gloves. I'm pretty excited about the JS1 right here. It's a closed back, all mesh, beautiful kip leather through the whole thing. Um, very what stiff. Kind of kip. Kip leather. It's a very premium type of leather from a cow. It's just prepared a certain way where it's very, very. And then it's got that, oh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just that deep leather, beautiful smell. But um, these are uh, limited editions that are on available on our website. If you don't know how to get it, DM us uh, from right there. I will pass it off to my man, Alex, here. I'm sure he's got some awesome things to plug as well. If you guys are looking for a biomechanical feedback with some slow motion camera, I'm offering that as of today. I didn't even put out an advertisement for it today, but if you're familiar with the app OnForm, formerly known as Huddle, Huddle got bought out by OnForm. I don't like the name, but it's the same quality of being able to trace your biomechanics in your swing. Uh, we got a lot of our guys that are already hopping on that. We got guys that are already hitting the ball 100 miles an hour that are into their biomechanics. So trying to uh, catch up with some of these data-driven programs that got a little bit more money. We're still a small business. We're not. We're still a little mom and pop, but we're still doing good things. So if you are trying to get some – what? Oh, I lost you. You went silent. I said, there's nothing wrong with a little mom and pop, you know? Yeah. Everyone starts with mom and pop, and then you get a couple more mom and pop. Right, right, yep. But if you're looking to understand how your swing compares to those that are in the biggest of the big leagues, especially uh, I'm just going to start off with I'm really hot on Reese Hoskins right now. Like, dude had a hell of an NLCS, and uh, I've just been studying his swing. And Bryce, just to throw two names out there, and uh, – they do a lot of very similar things. They just do it differently. Right. They do. They sure do. It's been fun to watch. I can't wait for Friday. Um, you know, it's gonna. It's really going to be fun to... Hey, we have to wait. Like, they were so hot. Both teams are like, the uh, was so good. What are we, I, thought, I thought baseball was like one travel day. Let's get this thing going. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Especially the way that they were doing the playoffs. Like, the new series started on Tuesday. I was, I was ready. Like, yesterday, I was like, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. It was confusing, to be honest with you. Like, what? But, you know, I'm not sure what major league – I mean, obviously, everybody benefits with a little rest, right? You get to get your aces that go against each other. Your matchups are better. So, maybe it, – it's kind of like the Super Bowl, right? Like, in playoffs, they have, like, an extra week off. And it's like, well, weeks. Why, this is weird. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, very, baseball, very – kind of weird at marketing. Yeah, baseball, weird. Yeah, baseball doesn't necessarily seem like that they want this game to be fun for a long time. Hate to, hate to be the one to throw that out there, but – it definitely fact, seems like they're. Bryce Harper is older than Reese Hoskins. Wow, I did not know that. Reese Hoskins is exactly half a year older than me, and a day. So six months and one day older than me. He's born on March seventeenth of nineteen ninety-three. Wow. See things you learn every day. Still right? a young guy. Here's another thing, and then I want to go into interviewing you for the most part today, and kind of getting a better understanding of just kind of where you're at in your journey. 
we know plenty about what you do now, but we, we haven't figured out how you got there. Um, Reese Hoskins did not go to a Power 5 school. He went to Sacramento State. He was a fifth-round draft pick. And look at what he's doing right now. And I know a lot of guys, they want to play in the ACC, the SEC, Big 10, Big 12, and now the awkward Pac-10, 12, 13. I don't know where they're at. You got UCLA and USC joining the Big 10. It's very strange. But um, just guys out there, you don't, you don't have to go to the big-name school to be a dude. You just got to be a freaking dude. Yeah, I, I talk about it all the time about going somewhere – where you are wanted and you get to play. You know, I, uh, junior college is now overly saturated with players, um, but it's, it's important for, you know, athletes to understand like any route, you know, and that's where we get caught up in the, metri the metrics and, and the numbers. And, you know, we try to let all our guys here understand that, you, you know, pitchers are ranked on your fastball. Right. The, the faster you can throw your fastball for a strike, the more valuable you are. Right. Look at what Wheeler did to the Padres. Right. Like he threw more fastballs that outing than he had his entire season. So, you know, just, you know, if you can understand really what the ranking system is and what they care about. And, you know, yes, it is performing well in the game, but like it's how well can you perform and how fast can you throw your fastball for a strike? Like it's not it's not either or. You know, I mean, it, it really, you know, the, I love the interviews of Greg Maddox that are coming back that I, you know, read these articles in Sports Illustrated as a young kid um, where he talked about, like, I threw 95 to get there. And there's this weird fallacy that people think that Greg Maddox threw slow. And the only reason why you could kind of say that he threw slow was, is that the ball moved a lot. And back then, the, ball, the more the ball moved, the slower it went, right? So they, don't, they, they thought you couldn't throw fast with movement. Well, Zach Wheeler, you know, proving otherwise. They used to say the faster you throw it, the straighter it goes. Well, also not necessarily true anymore. There's a lot of people that are doing it differently that way, you know? So it, I, I'm really enjoying how, you know, the information's coming back. I mean, you know, there's video of Maddox throwing in the World Series where he's against the Yankees and he's throwing 91, 92 mile an hour two-seamers and he hadn't been that high all season. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the hard part about throwing is 88, 92 almost feel the same to your body. And then you look at the number and the number doesn't necessarily, okay, well, I didn't really feel any different from there right there. So, you know, you, you only know that if you live at that velocity and, and it's been there a lot, you know I mean? As soon as I pull down and throw 95, my brain goes, I remember what that felt like to move that fast and that smooth, but replicating it on the mound is, is very difficult. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to do more research on Zach Wheeler. Like how did he figure it out and stop getting hurt? I want to know who he finally listened to. Well, he did, he did get hurt. So that's what I mean. He kept getting hurt. Like he was, yeah, like, no, he, like four he, years. He got hurt this year too. Keeps happening. He took six weeks off in the season. In the middle of the season, he took six weeks off. They, the Phillies, I think the Phillies did a phenomenal job of like, Okay, you know what? We're not even going to – because, like, I'm sure the protocol was, like, take two weeks off or take three weeks off or something. And the Phillies might have been like, you know what? If we give him six weeks off and then give him, like, a month before the playoffs, I bet you he gets rolling mm -hmm. after, like, four starts and, and gets going. And it seems like that's what's happening where he's super locked in. I mean, he said it – you know, he said it best. I, I knew it in the first inning they couldn't hit my fastball, so I was just really – 
I was really, you know, trying to locate it as best as I can, you know, and then people don't understand like locating as best as you can. That's still as hard as you can, right? Like, I don't know of a guy that moves slow, that throws fast and throws 95. Like it just doesn't, doesn't happen. You have to move fast and you have to, and, the, and your arm has to move fast. And you watch the videos, like you watch them in slow motion, like it's paralysis by analysis. Right. You know, and if you, and, and if, you, if you watch them in real motion, like every time they show those beautiful slow motions, I was like, play the same clip in real time. And I want to watch that fury from the side, right. you know? Because right. the side angle, yeah, the side angle fury and the behind angle fury aren't the same thing. They're not the same angles. They, they don't tell the same, you know, they don't tell the same story. They are trying to do too much sometimes. Like they're not trying to just like, just like I'm just trying to you know groove this fastball in the outside corner. It's like that's not how you trained your body the last you know twenty some odd years. You trained it to hit the gas pedal, horsepower. Right. Totally. Couldn't so, agree more. I'd like to ask you a couple questions, sir. Yes, sir. So my first question is, um, I was just looking at your bio, right? And I know I've heard you talk about it, but I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast where you broke your arm from throwing not necessarily broke but like your throwing pattern was broken you could no longer do the same thing you, you used to be able to do um talk us through that what happened and then how did you uh start to develop your system that got you back to where you were so i basically i'm senior college um started feeling some tricep tightness, um, throughout the year. Um, didn't definitely, you know, looking back on it, didn't attack it correctly. Um, I remember, I distinctly remember doing tricep extensions as, you know, a bodybuilding workout and like it making my tricep feel good. And then we going into the strength room and them telling me it was bad. Um, and knowing what I know now, like that was just providing a different level of blood flow that was getting consistent that like the, the basis strength of those particular muscles could handle what I was doing, you know, as you know, in, in that move. So, you know, that definitely I noticed that, that there was an issue with that started feeling it, um, basically battled it all year and I could, I could tell there was something wrong, um, going kind of into this game in april i remember it was easter weekend my family was in town we were on the road in huntsville alabama it was 32 degrees and i remember trying to warm up before the game and i just couldn't get warm i, I remember trying to do push-ups like it was just so cold I, I definitely didn't have you know looking back on it like you don't think about things so far as about like the geography to the climate of what you're going to be in, especially back in 2000, this is 2009. So, you know, there's no smart smartphone, real time temperature. You, there's really no, unless you have a computer, that's your Wi-Fi. but like the computer was the only way for you to get real information on the weather or anything. So you're really relying on your coaches. And I remember they just told us it was cold. Um, I warmed up before the game. I couldn't figure it out. I remember I went and told my coach, I'm like, I, my, my elbow's killing me. Um, I can't, I, I just can't get the, it's not coming out right. Something's wrong. I, you know, I, I can't even throw it a hundred feet. And he's like, well, the team needs you. Can we figure it out? And I said, I kind of try to drop my slot a little bit and that felt okay. Um, but I couldn't, I just couldn't, it just didn't feel the same. Yeah. So I made it all the way to like the third 
third or fourth inning, I remember. And it was like a two nothing game. We were winning. I was, I was basically like flipping sliders and cutters up there and then like throwing sinkers from this angle, but I had figured out where it didn't hurt. And I remember I threw one and it felt kind of shitty. And I was like, that didn't feel good. And I threw, then I threw the next one and it went like 10 feet and like, there was a loud pop. It mm. rolled over on the ground. I immediately just kind of like dropped my arm. Um, the trainer came out. Um, I remember she like moved my arm and as she moved it, I almost threw up because like it just the same pain was again. And then it was weird. I got into the dugout, they iced it. And when they iced it, it went kind of numb. I could move it, but it was swollen. Um, and I remember we finished the game and I had to, like, it was already prearranged on this particular day that after the game, I was going to go with my family home because my family was from that area. We were going to stop, stop in, in, in Montgomery, Alabama and do some family photos. I had like eight, 85 year old grandfathers with birthday. It was like a couple days after that. So I remember, okay, um, this is what we're doing. So I didn't even go with the team home. And so I remember, going going with the family and i just couldn't even move my arm i couldn't even move it like it was just stuck in this like 60 degree angle of like that i was like uh oh like that's not good um and then the very next day we drove home so that was sunday you know, we played on saturday we did family day on sunday monday we drove home so we had to get back to school because we had school on tuesday um and um I remember going to the training room that morning and my elbow was fine. It was the weirdest experience, right? Like nothing hurt um, yet. Nothing hurt yet. I could move it again. Um, and I told the training staff that I remember I said it swole up for like 24 hours. And then I woke up today and I can move it. So I don't know what's going on. And so the, nobody called a doctor or did anything. Um, they didn't schedule an MRI or anything. They were just like, all right, let's just go to two weeks. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call the doctor in the next couple of days. So it was like a very slow process. But anyway, long story short, um, you know, that experience is basically what, what got me to where we are here, right? So everything I learned from that over the next two and a half years from that situation was like, just don't take no for an answer from some of these smart people, you know, and um, I started, my dad and I started handling, you know, the school, the training staff, the people, the doctors, like a little bit more business-like instead of just accepting information. Like we were really progressive on pushing, like, you know, cause they told me I'd never throw again. And like all and the, these things just didn't make sense to me. I had a physical therapist in my family and they would be like, you'd never throw again. And I'd be like, it's a bone. Like I, you know, by this point I've got an MRI. I know the bone is broken. Um, that took from the moment I broke my elbow, it took two months to get an MRI scheduled because of so that's what, what happened. You broke. Yeah. Your elbow? Yeah. So I threw a pitch and broke my elbow. That's what happened. Like your ulcron or whatever, however. You say yeah. It. So your owner, your, your owner bone, your ulna yeah. is a bone. It's one of the thickest right. bones in the body. And so right where the elbow point is, right here, oh, I, fra I fractured the bone going this way. So basically, basically, the stress of what I was doing in my throwing motion was causing the point that the, the locking mechanism of the arm, that little hook, couldn't mm -hmm. handle the force of like me like 
basically pronating and locking my arm out as hard as I could to try to make sure that I was pronating because pronation was, was back then. That was the action that broke yeah. it. Right. My, I, I'm a thousand percent sure that was the action that broke it. I know I was, we were talking about pronation and how much pronation we needed. And like, that was big in the conversations in the college pitching world. Yeah. Really getting through the ball in pronation. Um, and so now, like, I can break the shit out of someone's arm in a Kimura that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like what you learn. Um, so yeah. And, and from there, um, like I said, uh, you know, I didn't mean to jump forward on you there. It's no, no, no. Let me more of that. Question, that was okay, crazy. go ahead. So when did you decide you were going to do things on your own and what came next? Like we already talked about, you took the business approach, but then yeah. at some point you were like, politely, fuck you. I'm going to, I'm going to do my thing. Cause I believe yeah. in myself. You listen to PT, you listen to people, but when did you just go that way? So, you know, it's really funny. Um, it's so cliche because there's like a lot of people that have said this thing, but I, so I remember um, at this exact, so, so let me go, let me go where I am in my life, where we are right here. Okay. So I have, I've broken my elbow. I don't know. I've broken my elbow. Um, we go through the rest of my senior season. We make it to the conference tournament. I try to warm up in conference playoffs. Doesn't work. Like, can't, can't even throw the ball 15 walk down there you know we end up like losing two two in a row or something like that get eliminated pretty fast um have my exit interview doesn't go well um doesn't go really well at all uh finally get an mri and then i'm on my own i'm out of college by the time i get my mri i have now finished school i've moved home um and now i'm on my own completely and i remember getting the mri and talking to the doctor getting me the mri and they're being like, you know, literally telling me I'll never throw again. And I remember just being like, just such alarm bells going off. Cause like when anybody ever tells you you'd never do it ever again, like there's just story on story on story of people doing it again. Right. Like it's just, I just remember being like, okay. So I called my aunt, who's a VP of a big hospital chain and, and told her the story of what the doctors told me. And, and I asked her like, am I crazy for thinking that this is a bone and if we fix if the bone heals and we can stabilize the bone then i can throw again and she's like yeah in theory but like they just don't know how to say it because they don't want to get sued so they can't say you have this much chance they they have to say a generalized you may never do x again whatever it is you may never run the same right that doesn't sound the same to a patient as it does to a doctor you know and so then I called my uncle, who's a physical therapist, told him the same story. And he's like, John, there's guys all the time that overcome whatever. Right. So, you know, you just have to go. And so I, I from that moment, I, I remember I got the next, so I get an MRI, right? The doctor tells me, we look at the MRI. They tell me the, the plan of action is we need, it's already started healing since it's been two and a half months since your injury. So we have to let it do it. So it's going to try to do its thing. So they gave me this thing called a bone stimulator. We slapped that on. Um, I wore that thing three times a day. Uh, may, may have only been once a day, but I was wearing it pretty much all the time because I was like, this is a signal. Like, I can't screw up my arm by wearing this all the time. It has to help. It healed. So we come back. We do a CT scan instead of an MRI. It's faster, and it shows you more bone stuff. 
it went from a 85% stress fracture um, from when the, so that's from. So that's what it was. It was a stress fracture, mm. right? And when they, it was a stress fracture, that was almost a compound clean fracture. It was 85% stress fracture. So it hit, it had 15% of the bone hanging on. And I was still like, that's where I'm like running back. I was like, oh my God, if we get an MRI right away, like I'm not moving my arm. And like, maybe the time frame is accelerated earlier to a different thing. Like we just a complete wrong approach on how to handle an athlete situation. Just really delayed my clock of recovery. Sure. Probably by a year, really. Mm. So, um, finally get them to, uh, so I do everything I'm supposed to. We wait six months, six months down the road. We find it's not going to heal anymore. It's still 92%. Um, so it went from 85% stress fracture to an 8% stress fracture, basically. Awesome. And so it did what it was supposed to, but I had to now go throw and figure it out. So I started getting on a throwing program, started working with the physical therapists um, that were there. None of them played. But was it like yeah. a, a generic throwing program pretty much? Yes. Yeah, you know, it was it was exactly. It was the Andrews Institute. It was their performance institute. And it was their physical therapist. I had no performance coaches, though. So this wasn't like they were doing biomechanics things. I was just playing catch with a guy from Buffalo who's the nicest guy in the world, but he was running a sheet of paper. Shout out to pretty Buffalo, much. Bro. Yeah, he was awesome. He was also working with some other big name athletes, but I was a D division two pitcher that got hurt. That was that not only was I, did I get hurt? I was the first one of anybody in the facility, the way I got hurt and how to rehab me back. So mm. I already knew that this was going to be interesting because I was, Oh, I'm the first guy for everybody. Mm. Okay. So was so. there a point during that throwing program where you're like, this isn't it. So I end up firing the facility. Um, and moving to another facility. And then from that facility, I didn't like what they said. So then I ended up going back to a facility that had done my ACL reconstruction when I was 16. So going there, I actually had a little bit more feel of business of like how I wanted to handle this. Okay. And when I showed up there at the beginning, I was like, I need to learn how to throw 95. I don't know if you can help me with that. Number one, number two, I need my arm to be with able to handle the force of 95 right now I can't throw more than 70 probably without it hurting. So I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or I'm not strong enough, whatever it is. So they were really able to like the, the physical therapist there had like 12 or 15 years experience with a minor league organization. So they had been around baseball before. And so I just used them and like guinea pigged a bunch of ideas off of from them of like how I should train, what should I do? Um, and then just started from there and just decided that if I'm going to play professional baseball, I need to throw at least 90 miles an hour. So that needs to be the first goal. And so from that moment. Um, what year was that? Like 11, so, 12? So let's see. So I have two surgeries. My first surgery is in the end of 2009. Yes. So, yeah, I get hurt in. Or no, no, the beginning of 10, actually. Yeah, it was January of 10. So January of 10, I have my first surgery where they fix the bone. January of 11, I have my second surgery to move the nerve out of the canal on my elbow to free up space so I can actually move. Because I just couldn't, it just didn't work, right? That was the first problem. I did, they did the surgery, they secured the bone. I had, I hadn't, 
found the the exact throwing motion that would be pain free yet, but I knew it wasn't working because there was a new pain in a new area. Mm. And so um, they ended up doing a carpal tunnel test where they send electricity from your pinky to your brain and they put a couple places where they like block it. And like if your arm moves, then um, it works. And so when they got to my wrist, it wasn't working right. So there was a blockage, there was a blockage somewhere and they found it in my elbow. So they moved it just, and they do this surgery normally on Tommy John's. It's called ulnar nerve transposition. They don't really do anything to the nerve, but basically give it more area of slack so it can move better. Hmm. Now the, the, the downfall of that is, is you lose hand strength tremendously. Hmm. Um, and so like my thumb and my pinky were like, my thumb turns off even when it gets really cold. Now I've rehabbed through that by doing a lot of like strengthening of the hand and do stuff in there. So there is definitely ways to come back from that, but it's a common thing for guys who have Tommy John to like lose feeling in their hand and stuff. So when did you start throwing the way I should say your system? Yeah. Um, so this, this gave birth to your system of sorts. Right. It did. It did. So at this point now I'm going through the internet. There's a lot of slow motion video. This is 2011, 2012. There's a lot of slow, yeah, 2011. So after the surgery on the nerve, um, that was a six weeks recovery. That wasn't very long because it, it just, it wasn't, you just needed all the tissue to heal up and then you could like start being physical again. So that was very exciting. So that allowed me to start some of these ideas. Now the whole time from this, I have slow motion video on YouTube is now a thing. And I'm able to just start watching dudes. And I start thinking about, and also at the same time, I find Joe Rogan's podcast and he starts the way he interviews people and asks questions. He also does other podcasts explaining how he thinks about asking questions from people more about how I try to communicate, just like the way you and I communicate, which is we try to extract expert advice and opinions out of people's brains based on their experiences and how they grew up right? And just like, try to figure out how they operate. If I can learn how you can operate, I can replicate the way you can operate. And I can see the differences of the way I operate, and the way you operate and see if that there is a better way or not a better way in order to operate. And so like, I just started doing that. And, and that started with, okay, let me look at who are the best guys in the game for the longest. And I just went through baseball reference and started looking at different people that I knew that were making lots of money, right? This is the beginning of Scherzer. Verlander's already doing his thing. Kershaw's doing his thing. And so I came up with a formula of like, to be the best pitcher on the planet, which is basically a creative player, video games. Like you need pitches that people do when they're playing around, which is like, if I could, create a player and pick a pitch from a guy I need to be able to develop those tools so I wanted who had the best fastball well I could take Nolan Ryan's fastball I would take Kershaw's curveball I would take you know Felix Rodriguez's splitter I would take Pedro Martinez's changeup I would also take his two seam and maybe I'd like somehow figure out how to get Randy Johnson's slider but from the right side when did Moe's cutter come in? That happened a little bit later. Okay. Um, that yeah, that happened a little later because as I started going through this research, that's where I found it. Where I was like, 
everybody started, you know, there were memes that were coming around in the playoffs. They were saying more people walked on the moon than scored on Mariano Rivera. And so then I started going, okay. And in the playoffs, right. Um, I started going, okay. So I started watching his games and started watching how big league hitters were swinging at his cutter and started going, okay. There were guys that I played with in college that said they got to pro ball. And then everybody was talking about figure out a cutter, figure out a cutter, figure out a cutter. And I started thinking, well, if nobody else throws this cutter and you're the only one that can throw it, when people face you, then they can't get used to facing it because they can only see it against you. And he's having seven pitch innings where there are people that have been playing against him for years. And now people talk about this where they're like, I played against Mariano Rivera for multiple years, but I never faced him because I, it never worked out in the lineup. So I, he went a whole series or he went a year or two years or three years and never faced him, but just watched him absolutely carve up their teammates. But it just worked, worked out in a rotation where the batters against face, it's just not that much. I mean, you can look at it on baseball reference too. There's a, so many people that have one at bat against the guy and it's like 0 for 1 with the rollover, you know, 6 4, 4 3, mm-hmm. 5 3, you know. So, you know, he, he was he was the most dominant pitcher for the analysis that I went through, and allegedly he had one pitch. Knowing what I know now and as I did research and the amount of video I watched, he threw different versions of cutters, which we know now is possible with spin axis of, of being able to change it and change flight patterns. So, you know, he, he had an understanding. But also what I know now is like, you know, there are certain ways you can talk about things to hide information. And when you use words like natural um, or, you know, just, I just do it. You're basically saying that you're being ignorant on purpose. And so when you watch some of his games, like he for sure was throwing up and in flat cutters. He was throwing down and away hard sliders. He was throwing front door cutters. You know, he was, he was really pitching, but people only say one pitch and when you think of one pitch, you think one pitch, one spot, but that's not what's happening. So he was a master in, you know, you know, bending the ball. But, you know, to his point, he was throwing the same way for a long time. If you watch his starts as a starter when he first came up, he pitched exactly the same, and he had three pitches. But when he needed extra, he would reach back and just throw as hard as he could. And, and basically, I think he just learned how to do that and just so locate. The, yeah. You studied the greats. Yeah. Right. Now, we started to develop the system that is Cutter Nation, right? We don't have to get into the commandments and all that fun stuff, but yeah. when did you start? Because I know you played in Mexico. You played your career down there. You made your money. You made your name for yourself. You learned. When did you start teaching your system to guys? So now, let me add on top of that. When did you realize, like, oh, I can, like, I can repeat this. I just need to insert this into your brain. It doesn't have to do with my body or what I do. It's just this shit works. Right. Um, So as I'm rehabbing, so I started getting very efficient with my time, right? I I decided that if I was going to be the best pitcher, I needed to be a lot stronger than I was, whatever that was, right? I needed to be able to throw as fast as they do in the big leagues. And then I need to be able to with, withstand that. So I just decided I'm going to get as strong as I can. 
gonna get as fast as I can and I'm gonna be able to like and I was running stadiums I hated like running long distances I knew was wrong um I had heard that but like running 100 yard sprints was something that was easy for me um especially because I had this long path of this like in my neighborhood where I could just like mark off 100 yards I had little spray painted spots easier for a guy like you yeah so I, I would just like, I would just do this training regimen, you know, a lot. And then I would be inside my research of like, okay, how am I going to do this? And so I just found a commonality with like Latin throwers of like, they kind of threw differently than American guys did. And I started trying to throw the way I started seeing like, you know, Vlad Guerrero senior threw a hundred from the outfield. till he was 50 and like, there's so much video of him throwing. And so I just tried to start copying those positions like a mimic, just like I would, would as if I would, as a young kid, I was trying to do Greg Maddox's over the head, lift, move. And I just started copying it. There was no, I could not find slow motion video of outfielders throwing. It was something that I was like, this is interesting. And a lot of, a lot of the Jaeger stuff had come out about long toss. And I just noticed that when I long tossed, I reached down a little bit lower um, for what I did. And so I started doing that. And at, in my training, I didn't have anybody to throw with. I was just by myself. I was going to the gym. I found plyo balls because I figured, oh, I could throw into a wall. I didn't need a partner, and it didn't go anywhere. And it was the same weight as a baseball. I didn't use the heavier stuff. I, I was a little bit more on the you shouldn't throw heavy objects, really. Um, you know, and, and for what I had heard and what I had seen, baseball players only threw baseball. So I just didn't even understand it, didn't even try to understand it. Oh, but as I missed the guys. That's where I'm going. So this is where I'm at. So I'm working at a Chili's, bartending, right? Uh, and, and I worked my way up from busboy to bartender in like six months because I was like, I am not going to not make money. I was, I was understood timeframes and what I needed to do. So I worked my way up the company and I had this regular couple that would come in and their kid would have practice across the street at this baseball complex two nights a week. And so what they would do is this kid had two and a half hour practices. They would drop him off, come to Chili's, have a date night, sit at my bar and just hang out. And we would watch sports. And as we knew each other, um, we, sports would come on, baseball would come on. We'd talk. They'd tell us that their kid would, would play ball. And I told them I'd play ball in college and I was still rehabbing and I was hurt. And so one day they just asked me if I would train him. And I, I did what every – I would always – yeah. Right. And so I was like, and there, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know where to start, blah, blah, blah. And like, well, if you ever get the idea, let us know. So one day I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to try it. And so I, I text them and they said, how much is it going to be? And I told them what I thought it would be. I had no idea. I just made it up for, so for two kids for two and a half hours, I trained these kids on like throwing and hitting and like ground balls, like a full on practice. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. And that was the beginning of it. And I remember trying to teach these kids how to long toss. We would like teach them how to warm up and like actually teaching them to reach down, find some of these positions that I'm talking about. And one of the kids was a catcher and the other was a shortstop. And like, they had terrible accuracy. And I just noticed that as I got further, 120, 130 feet, they could just, they were hitting me every time. And so that was like the first time I was like, huh, okay. I had been spending at this point, we're two years in and, and researching arm path, throwing motions, pitching mechanics. And I haven't really found anything that had jumped off the page at me yet or, you know, off the screen. And these two kids, this, this high school sophomore and 12 year old could copy what I was doing when I was throwing. Hmm. 
And that's what, that's what kind of changed it. And I was like, Oh my God, like you can just like, you watch me do it and then you can do it. And so I kind of just started working on this and then I started videoing myself throwing more, started getting into my own mechanics and then was able to like take some of the slow motion video, like hold my laptop up to, you know, you know, another screen and be like, all right, let's see. I don't look the same as this guy. Right. Yeah. I look, I look. And so what I started looking for was like different components. Like I was always a long stride guy. I always knew long stride was good. Um, you know, there's a big debate on it, short stride, long stride, but I don't know. I just felt like long stride was always is the closer I get, the less you see the ball. And it just made sense to me. You know what I mean? Throw it at 53 so, feet, not 54 feet. It's harder to hit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's where it started. And then I just, and you know, from there, uh, I just started trying to develop a system and, and I was like, okay, I did it. They handed me the money and I made, by the way, I made as much money as I did that shift, which was frustrating. Cause I was like in less time, I made the same amount of money right? with less work doing something that I wanted to do. Right. Just, and, and I was just chilling. Like we were just playing catch. Right. And I was throwing BP to them and just like, you know, cause a lot of the parents don't trust a hitter unless you're a hitter. Right. But you can also be like, well, because I'm a pitcher, I can just lay fastballs in there and let them hit it. So I didn't even say I was a hitting trainer. I was just like, I can throw BP. I'll teach you pitching and I can throw BP so you can hit at least. Well, I know it'll be easy. for them. Like this guy actually knows how to pitch so he can like tell you like, no, don't do that. I wouldn't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Do yeah. that. Do that. So the start of Cutter Nation was an outdoor operation. You can actually scroll back to the beginning of my Instagram and go look at it. And it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm throwing BP to kids. Like I used to just serve up fastballs. I would probably, you know, it's funny. It's like, I was throwing BP, I don't know, three or four times a day. Right. And that's also how I knew. Right. Cause like it was harder for me to throw closer, but if I went further away, it was way easier. Cause I could just use my length and right. just like float, float spinners in there. So I just wasn't like, I was never tired. My arm never got tired. Cause I was probably throwing the ball 50 miles an hour too. Right. Which so is sadly, like, I gotta go. Cause I know I gotta pick up my boys soon, but I don't no, I'll pick this back up. I'm not ending it now, but I'm gonna, we'll, we'll finish with this question. Is the Cutter Nation system complete? I don't think it'll ever be complete. I think I that it. it'll be an ever-growing process of, of growth and information. And, you know, I one thing I've noticed about the um, information internet world is, like, things – the information evolves, so, do, so does the, the process. So I'm sure people will be putting out more information and we will continue to try to get better and better as it goes, you know? So if we were at a, a scale of a hundreds in impossible, right? Where do you think you are now? Like in terms of your understanding, like if you were looking at yourself back with those kids, those first kids as compared to now, have you gotten like leaps and bounds further or is it your explanation of where you you've gotten has just gotten better? I think we're way further, you know, there's, and, and it's, and I think it's just because now we have a building, you know, like when you have a spot that you don't have to reset up thing every day and like, you can just jump in and then like go and it's a system like what we have here. You just you pick it back up. Yeah, exactly. I, you just, I just cut out all of the, the unnecessary time that goes into that. And that's why you need a home 
that you can actually get better at. And a lot of the ideas that I put out have been verified through data, through our TrackMan system and the other stuff. So it's been, it's been very fun to, to, you know, trial and error has been, has been really fun, but also, you know, educated trial and error has been fun as well. Absolutely. Dude, I, I hate to end it, but I got to go. Wednesdays, we get out early. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, man. But, uh, this is perfect. Well, I, got, I, I got this back up too. on our next podcast. We're going to go straight Sounds back good. into this shit. But Sounds just good. to, like, kind of throw things out there. Um, not that I had a similar story, just because I had a, a slightly bigger surgery, just slightly bigger. Um, not that it's, it's worse than yours, but it just kind of taught me, like, there's a lot of people that are very smart at the human body, but they don't know what they're talking about at the very same time. Sure. And there's a lot of kids out there that, you know, you might be hurt. You might be in a bad spot. And it's like, like I, I posted on my story today about Reese Hoskins, right? Like be unrealistic about what you're trying to do. And like, you might end up shocking yourself and then a lot of other people. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, we're such great pen pals as the best way to yeah. describe it. I agree. Yeah. We, we enjoy the process of learning and, and trying to educate everybody. Cause you know, the whole, I'm sure looking behind you at all those fun toys and how they, you know, are there, you know, you just transferred your 12 year old obsession, you know, to a business. And you know, that's what's, that's, what's really fun here too. Where if, you know, if I, if I was 12 and I like, wanted to be around the next advanced thing that's what we're trying to build here you know there's we're always trying to get to you know there's going to be more information you know cutting edge technology that's going to be coming out and we want to be the, the the source for people to look at and be like yeah these guys know what they're talking about they they can prove it they throw all the time they're healthy they're in it for the long run and you know anybody can do this so oh, yeah well, hey, just to shamelessly plug you, guys, you got to watch this dude throw against hitters. He's got, I'm going to go out and say thousands of pitches, definitely thousands. Like, I'll feel comfortable saying sure. thousands. Thousands of pitches against live hitters, professional hitters, collegiate hitters, high school hitters. Watch what this, stuff, this dude does. Like, he has literally sent me text messages about what he did to somebody. And then I go and I watch it. I'm like, yeah, you did exactly that. Like, that's exactly what she did. And, like, somebody that is um, – I know that you may not be familiar with Gordon Ryan, who's, like, the best grappler in the world, but he got so good, he literally started writing down what he was going to do to somebody and handing it to, like, the announcer and be like, just wait till after. Just wait till after and then open it. I love that. Right? I love just that. open it after and then you're just like, oh, my God. Like, he just did that. But, like, from your pitch ninja stuff, your rap soto content, your YouTube content, like a lot of it is where, you know, I'm looking to try to get to eventually where it's like, if you follow the right people, you're going to see what they do. And just like, I can't say it enough what you did, which was you looked at the really good guys and you went from there. So we'll pick this back up. Why don't you close this off? Any plug for you or anything like that? I think we're good. Go follow us. You know where we're at. I mean, he, my guy over here, Alex, I'm going to plug him back. His hitting content is very, very fun. You know, he's, he's constantly pushing the norm of, of what, you know, people think is, is hitting training because there's just so many different aspects to come from. So I applaud, you know, Alex very much. So 
if you're in the area, you know, check him out up in NorCal and, and, you know, on here on the socials, give him a follow and, and check out his online program too, because, you know, the guy, you know, I can't, what's really fun too, is like we said, we haven't met each other in real life and there's going to be two fun um, events happen. Us throwing, right? Oh yeah. Playing catch and then like you catching me and then you facing me. It'll That's also free. be free. It's yeah, that's true. That's true. Long talk, right? Yeah, a nice yeah. catch play, a nice bullpen, and then or live at bats probably. Let's let's. I just I seriously cannot wait to see your cutter just so I can be like, mm, mm-hmm, okay. I did advanced like, PP. Yeah. In my head of like, okay, like you gotta have body angles to like meet the plane of that pitch, but then he's also gonna set you up so you miss that plane of that pitch. Like, I gotta not think about it, but think about it at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Thank exactly. you, John. Hey, I appreciate it so much. Thank you, too, buddy. Appreciate it, man. This has been a blast. Hey, pick it up next week. Same topic. If you liked it, tune in. Perfect. Thanks, buddy.